In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Western tradition, in ordination, there's a, a hymn that's traditionally sung, Come Holy Ghost, Our Souls Inspire. I became firmly convinced last night that that hymn is for brand new priests who have foolishly told their rector, sure, I'll preach today after my ordination. <laughs> Today is Trinity Sunday, um, the Sunday after Pentecost, and today we remember the, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, the, the, the reality of the Holy Trinity, disputes about the workings of the Holy Trinity have been first and foremost in the history of the church throughout its entire life. But I was reflecting last night on one particular dispute, which is uh, one we know as the filioque. The filioque, filioque is a, a Latin word which we translate in English as and the Son. And it, it has to do with how the Holy Spirit proceeds into the world. The original version of our Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. But the Western Church at some point added the words, the word filioque, qui ex patre filioque, meaning from the Father and the Son. And this has become a long-running dispute, and, and in fact a major source of division between we as Orthodox Christians, who believe the original version of the Creed, and those in the Roman Catholic Church who profess that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. And there's three observations I want to make about the filioque and how I think we can learn from this ongoing conflict. First off, it's a long-standing conflict. It really starts about the 5th century, but it, it had a flashpoint when the Third Council of Toledo in Spain um, actually issued a decision saying that the word filioque should be inserted into the creed. Now, this was not an ecumenical council. This was a regional council. This was a very specific solution to a very specific problem at a very specific time. One of the problems at the time in Spain was that there was a resurgence in Aryan Christianity, where there were Christians who did not want to believe that the Son was co-equal with the Father and co-eternal with the Father. As you remember, Arius, of course, is the heretic who was slapped by St. Nicholas for this very view. Uh, so they thought, well, we'll just do this one thing, and that will fix it for here and for now. So it was meant to be a local solution for a local problem for a, at a local time. But what happened? This one act, with the best of intentions, I'm sure, had massive repercussions. 
because they bit off more than they could chew. They did something that affected far more people than they realized it would. And this decision that was supposed to be local, that was supposed to be specific, has now reverberated throughout history and caused massive conflict. I think we do that in our own lives sometimes, too. We, we do something and we think, well, this will be a quick fix. I can just take care of it. And we don't think through the consequences that our actions might have. We don't think through how our actions might affect those of others. The second observation I would make is this. Um, the filioque was used uh, according to some historians. Now keep in mind this is a centuries long dispute. So just assume I'm oversimplifying everything for the sake of illustration. But the, the filioque was used uh, as a tool in a political dispute. Okay? So it was really taken and pushed by the Franks as a means of legitimizing themselves and a means of separating themselves from what remained of the Roman Empire, namely the Empire in Constantinople. And I think we do that ourselves as well. Sometimes we allow our politics to influence our Christianity. Sometimes we view Christianity as a buffet, where, well, I have these views, so I'm going to pick and I'm going to choose which pieces of Christianity I like, and I'm just going to hold on to those, and I'm maybe going to ignore the rest. But is that the way it's supposed to work? It is our Orthodox Christianity that should be informing our entire worldview. Rather than looking at Christianity and our Christian beliefs through the lens of our politics, we should, of course, be looking at everything, including our politics, through the lens of our Orthodox Christianity. We should be examining everything that, that, that we, we think about and we believe in terms of worldly affairs in terms of our Orthodox Christian beliefs. And I've spoken about this before. Before becoming Orthodox, I was pro-death penalty. You know? Kill them all, let God sort them out. But after becoming an Orthodox Christian, I had to re-examine that belief in the light of what the church teaches. And the Orthodox Church teaches, of course, that every human being is an icon of God. And we don't teach total depravity. We don't teach that what that icon can be destroyed. It can be marred. It can be disfigured. But every human being, no matter how twisted and how deviant they might become, is still an icon of God. And so death is an insult to God. And so I had to change my political views based on the fact that I was now an Orthodox Christian. 
And so everything that we look at in the world, that's, that's how we should be looking at it, is how does this, how does this mesh up with my, my Christian beliefs? Not the other way around. The third thing is this. For centuries, the dispute about the filioque was it was a theological discussion. It was minor. It was it was something where, yes, there was there was an acknowledgement that certain people had certain opinions, but that uh, it, it could be discussed, right? It wasn't a block to communion. It wasn't a block to to unity in the church. But then these aforementioned Franks decided to bring it to the forefront and make it a big deal. I had a history teacher in high school who always reminded us that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman. It was Frank. And we do that in our lives too. I, I think a lot of us may call it majoring in the minors. How many of us major in the minors? How many of us take some small dispute, some small slight against us, and instead of forgiving it and moving on or looking to resolve it, we, we grab onto it? You know, we talk about holding a grudge, and many of us literally do that. We hold onto it. We don't just hold onto it. We seize it. We hug it. We gaze upon it lovingly. And there's no way we're going to let it go. But what, what does that mean, though? If we're gazing lovingly on this grudge, if we're gazing on it and, and making it the center of our life, from whom does that turn away our, our gaze? Christ. If we're so busy engaged in this grudge, this, this minor conflict that we've turned it into something that separates us from our friends, from our relatives, from our fellow parishioners. That, we've, that we just can't let it go. It's like Gollum and his precious. It really does. And what happened with Gollum and his precious? What did his precious do to him? It destroyed him. It made him unrecognizable. And that's what we can sometimes allow a minor grudge, a minor slight, a minor insult to do if we seize onto it and we hold onto it and we, and we pet it and we nurture it. And unfortunately, that's kind of what's happened in the church with, with the, this, this conflict with Philoque. People seized upon it and they nurtured it and they... They used it as, a, as an excuse to divide rather than seeking the unity of, that Christ wishes for all of us. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's the last Sunday you'll see white for a long time. We start, I've talked about the long green road between here and Advent. Right? So as we as we start that long road, let's, let's make sure that we have our priorities straight. Let's make sure that we've, 
set aside whatever small grudges that we're holding on to. Let's make sure that we're, we're focused on the right things so that we might give all glory, honor, and worship to him who it is due, not our grudges, not our faults, but to Christ and to the Holy Trinity whom we celebrate today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.